Thank you. Speaking truth, that relates a lot to what we will talk about in just a few minutes. Uh, welcome to Centennial Church. Glad that you're here. And want to also welcome back Kristen. Give her... Thank you, Kristen. Uh, most of you know that uh, last few months, Kristen's been busy with little Leah, who's down here with, with Aunt Stacy this morning on the second row. And you know how it goes, uh, many of you know how it goes when you have a new little one and uh, you're pretty exhausted. And uh, so uh, that's where Kristen has been the last few months. It's amazing. Uh, having a child is a miracle, and it's especially a miracle when you have a child and the, the little girl comes out and she can already harmonize. I mean, it's screaming, but it's in harmony, so uh, amazing, talented, uh, talented little girl. We are glad that you're here. Just uh, by way of announcements, again, I just want to uh, reiterate uh, a few things. Uh, number one, if, you're, if this is your church home, if you're a member of Centennial Church, we would like you to vote. We'd like you to affirm our budget and give us your commitment by Wednesday, okay? So go on our app and do that, or if you don't have a, a, an app, a smartphone, go to centennialchurch.com backslash 2017, and you have all the information and, and the little button there to vote, but we'd like to have that, uh, have your, imp, your input on that by Wednesday, okay? That's the deadline. Speaking, uh, also, I forgot one thing, speaking of babies, we have another baby uh, that came this last week. Many of you know Alina, who's always sitting over here, little Alina, Alina gave birth to, I should say, little Samantha. Alina gave birth to little Samantha, Samantha Joe. I believe we have a picture of Samantha Joe Jimenez right there uh, in a cute little hat and mittens. Uh, so if you uh, know Alina or if you want you don't even know Alina, you want to reach out to her. Uh, we, I think we got some meals uh, being taken to the Jimenez family, so congratulations uh, to them. Another just couple business item things. Uh, as a result of our 2017 business meeting, we want to uh, form a couple new teams around here. So if you're interested in being on a newly forming marketing team or a newly forming video team, I encourage you to go back to the Connection Center after church. you got interest or experience in video, go back and talk to Jody. Jody, stand up, my lovely assistant. Jody will be out at the Connection Center if you are interested in maybe marketing as your deal or uh, video. I encourage you to go out and get involved in those teams that are newly forming. Also, those of you that are decent at uh, home repairs, that's not me, but those of you that can fix things, paint things, Doug Gwines, would you stand up? Doug is our deacon of facility and building, and Doug is organizing a work day next Saturday. So if you can stain wood or if you can do some small repairs or if you uh, have any other of those kinds of talents or you don't have those talents but you're just willing to be told what to do, then uh, come uh, check with Doug. Doug will be out in the lobby after church as well, okay? I think <clears throat> that is the uh, rest of the business. And now it's time to, to dive into our new series today. Our new series, how many of you uh, are tired of news? Tired of bad news especially. We are inundated with news, are we not? I mean, news is everywhere. And as I spoke with others before church this morning, you know, in the old days, uh, when I was growing up, if, if you wanted to know what was happening in the news, you got the paper in the morning. And I remember as a child, my dad reading the newspaper uh, every day. Does anybody read the actual paper anymore, a, a few of you old-timers? Uh, you know, it's online now. You can get it online, mostly free. You don't even have to pay for it. Uh, but you would, you would get that news once a day. You would get that news in the morning as you read the paper uh, you also could rely on the news, or you could get the news at, at 6 and 10 o'clock. And back in the olden days, there was just kind of three 
news outlets, three news networks that you could do that. You could get that from Tom Brokaw at 6 o'clock, or you could get that from Dan Rather, Rather Biased, and you could get that from Peter Jennings on ABC. But those were kind of the three voices of the news. Back even in the days before that, the voices were different. Some of you will remember the, the, the voice of Walter Cronkite, right? Walter Cronkite. And uh, if, you, if you're into sports, you might remember the old voice, the voice of sports news was who? Howard Cosell. And, it, and Howard Cosell's voice was synonymous with sports. But those were the, the few voices. Today, the voices are plenty, are they not? The, the voices are everywhere. And they're not just in the morning or they're not just at 6 o'clock or 10 o'clock. They're all the time. We have more news, or should we say more noise, uh, than we have ever had. We, we have it from more networks than we've ever had. And just think about it, uh, 30 years ago, 30 years ago, you, di- you didn't even have a whole, a whole network devoted to sporting news, right? What a, what a smashing success ESPN has, has been. But just uh, in our lifetime, has that been an option that we've had? Uh, a long way back in the day, if you wanted the news, you would just sit at the radio with your family in the evenings and perhaps listen to the presidential address or listening, listen to the news uh, that way. Today, news is everywhere, and it's not uh, always news. Sometimes it's a perspective or a, a slant on the news, an opinion upon what has happened, and it's not really news. We have this whole category now called fake news. If you want fake news, it's fun to go read The Onion, right? You ever see The Onion reports? It's hilarious. In Christian news, it's the Babylon Bee. Hilarious fake news stories. We also live in a culture where we're familiar now with what's being called alternate facts. Can you really even trust what the newspaper is saying? Can you trust their perspective? The, the news is everywhere, and not only is the news everywhere now, the news is also predominantly bad, is it not? Um, do you ever watch the news or do you ever finish watching the news, turn the news off and say, I, mean, I feel better now? You know, that put me in a good mood. Never. And just most of us have uh, news apps on our phone. We, we, we get news little headlines throughout the day. And as I had those little, you know, push notifications come to my phone this week, I was disappointed in the news headlines that I heard. Some of those had to do with religious freedom and what courts were doing in Washington State and elsewhere that will affect our religious freedom, not just for Christians, but for all, people of all faith. So the news is, is often not good news, it's often bad news. I had another uh, push notification come to my phone this, this week that was the bad news about Jerry Sandusky's son. Did you hear this story? Jerry Sandusky was the Penn State coach that was um, imprisoned a couple years ago. It turns out this week his son, Jeffrey Sandusky, was charged with the exact same crimes that his father was. Bad news constant news and discouraging news. We are surrounded by news, and what we need is some good news. Among all the bad, we need some good news, and guess what? The book of Romans that we're going to study in this season of the life of our church is full of good news. It's about the gospel, and the word gospel is a Bible word that means good news. And as Paul uh, takes us on this journey through the book of Romans, he, he tells us, good news in a world of bad news. And it's news 
that will lift us up rather than discourage us. It's news that's objective and true that we can count on that doesn't have a spin to it or an agenda, but it's from God and it's reliable, good news. So open up your Bibles with me to the book of Romans. I'm excited about this series and I know, you know, you probably think, well, that's, you know, preacher hyperbole, you, you know, you, you're always excited about the sermon series that you're in. But yeah, I'm really excited about this one. It's, I love the book of Romans. Uh, we're going to be in this series. Our plan is to go all the way through the end of the, to this school semester. And uh, in the summer, we'll take a, we'll come up for air, take a little break, probably go into the Old Testament for a little while during the, uh, during the summertime. And then mid-August, when school starts back, we'll jump back into Romans and go uh, basically up through Thanksgiving. So that's kind of where we're going. If you love Romans, you will love this year. If you don't love Romans, you will learn to love Romans, okay? But uh, that's our plan. We also have, uh, we've also made a webpage with some resources to help you in your study of Romans. So if you just go to our website, backslash Romans, there's some resources there. There's a, uh, a video summary of Romans. There's some uh, suggested, suggested, excuse me, verses for you to memorize. There's so many great verses in the book of, in the book of Romans. There's also a study guide that we're recommending to you. It's by uh, my preacher crush, Tim Keller. And uh, we, I encourage you, if you want to do more in the study of Romans, get this study guide. It's not, you know, obviously I can't require you to do it, but it's a great, maybe you want to do some personal study beyond the sermons here. Maybe you want to do this with your community group or with a small group at work or something. I encourage you to get this study guide. Um, I'll tell you this, as we like to say in Oklahoma, uh, it ain't cheap. Uh, if you get this on Amazon, it's about 17 bucks for the hardback, um, but it's a great, a great resource. We actually have, for a limited time only, we have... Uh, about six copies of this back at the Connection Center, and they're for $15 today if you want to get a copy of that uh, book. So go and check out those resources, and I think uh, hopefully you will uh, love Romans if you don't already love the book of Romans because uh, it speaks to us. Uh, it's not only, as one of Martin Luther's disciples said, the summary of all Christian doctrine, but it helps us in the things that we face day to day, even in 2017. As one commentator, let me, see, let me read you the words of one commentator who talked about how relevant the book of Romans is for today. This is uh, his words. He's, John Stott says, So many contempor contemporary issues are touched on by Paul and Romans. Enthusiasm for evangelism in general and the propriety of, the propriety of Jewish evangelism in particular. Whether homosexual relationships are natural or unnatural comes up in Romans next week, actually. Whether we can still believe in such unfashionable concepts as God's wrath, the historicity of Adam's fall and the origin of human death, what are the fundamental means to living a holy life, the relation between divine sovereignty and human responsibility, the tension between ethnic identity and the solidarity of the body of Christ, relations between church and state, how to handle differences of opinion within the Christian community. And this list is only a sample of the modern questions which directly or indirectly Romans raises and addresses. So I think uh, this will benefit us. It will speak directly to us as we uh, sang earlier that God's truth would uh, be spoken to us. I've asked uh, 
one of our own, Becky Stalkup, to read the passage for us, the 17 verses that we're going to look at. And I'm going to ask us to do this, which we uh, don't have a habit of doing, but I'm going to ask that we do it for this series. I'm going to ask you to stand along with Becky and read along uh, silently as she reads it to us, but stand in honor and respect of God's word, and then we'll dive in here, okay? Becky. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart from the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of his holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may at last succeed in coming to see you, for I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, that is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation to both Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish, so I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed, from faith, for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Let's pray. Father God, uh, as we open up your word, we pray as we sang just a minute ago that you would speak truth to our hearts. Uh, Lord, each person here in different place and different circumstances, uh, Lord, that you would apply uh, illuminate and apply your scripture to our hearts and that you would change us by your word. Uh, Lord Jesus, it's for your glory, for your honor, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I'm not going to spend a, a lot of time uh, this morning talking about the background of Romans and the circumstances for it. I will try to sprinkle that in as we go through the series. But, but quickly, basically, uh, Paul is writing about 57 AD. This is kind of late in his ministry. The Apostle Paul, he's written a lot of the New Testament. And he's writing to Rome to a church that he hasn't actually been to. He's heard of them, but he, hasn't, he has never actually been to Rome. And he writes this great uh, letter, the longest of his epistles to the church uh, in Rome. And we're going to see uh, three main headings today, three main headings. The first one being this, the gospel is news. The gospel is news. Now, I've kind of already said that, but we'll kind of delineate what I mean by that. But, but the gospel is news. And Timothy Keller has said it like this. He says, every other religion is advice, but the gospel is news. What does he mean by that? He means that every other religious system says, do this, and then God will do this. Or here's some advice for you. Follow uh, this eightfold path. Or uh, do these good deeds. Or recite this certain prayer, and you can get in standing with God. It's advice to do. Christianity is fundamentally different because it is news, and news is to be announced. 
It's to be told. It's, it's news about what God has done. It's not advice for what we are to do. It's news that is heard and received. And that is fundamentally different than every other religious system that exists. The gospel is news. John Stott summarizes these five verses like this. John Stott says, The gospel is the good news of God about Christ according to Scripture for the nations unto the obedience of faith and for the sake of his name. Okay? That's a mouthful. We might come back to that in a minute, but that's his summary. Of God, about Christ, according to Scripture, for the nations, unto the obedience, and for the sake of his name. That's what he delineates here in these first five verses. Look, first of all, at, at, at verse 1. How does Paul describe the gospel that he's set apart for? He says it's the gospel of God. And what he means there is it's the gospel that originates with God. Its source, its origin is God himself. It's the gospel of God, which means Paul's saying it's not my gospel. I didn't make this up. He's going to say in other letters, Galatians, this is not something I, I learned or I came up with on my own. Or, but this is the gospel that comes from God. Therefore, it's reliable. Therefore, you can count on it. You, have to, you don't have to worry about spin. You don't have to worry about human interpretation because this is the good news that begins. Its origin is God. Its source is God himself. And therefore, you can rely on it. You don't have to wonder if it's true. Yesterday, as we were having breakfast, uh, you know, my, Elizabeth's a bit of a health nut, and she said, as I was drinking my coffee, she said, you know, she said, you know what they're saying now is we actually need to drink organic coffee rather than this stuff. And I said, good grief, you know, I'm just trying to enjoy my coffee. Uh, can't we just, you know, dip some essential oils on top of it or something and just kind of cancel it? I mean, you know, 10 years ago, they said the aspartame's bad for you, the false sweeteners are bad for you. Now they say it's okay, or, you know, should you, sh should you have coffee or should you not have coffee? Should you, should you drink wine or should you not drink wine? Is it good for your heart? I said that earlier, and someone said, yeah, you should drink four glasses of wine. Uh, anyway, uh, but what, what, it's in diet and exercise and what, in religion and news, what, it's hard sometimes to wade through the perspectives to find the facts. What's fact and what's opinion? And what Paul is saying here is that the gospel originates with God and therefore you can rely on it. It's trustworthy. It's first of all from him. Second of all, not only is it, does it have its origin in God, but secondly, you see according to verse 2 that although the gospel is news, it's not new. It's news, but it's not new. Look at verse 2. He says, uh, this gospel of God, which, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. And what Paul is saying is, is though, though Christ has recently come on the scene, uh, the gospel is not something new. It's something that God's been working at throughout, throughout history, particularly in the, in the life in the nation of Israel. So they had these prophets that, that foretold of the Messiah, that foretold of Jesus to come. Now, they didn't always get it, but it's always been there. It's news, but it's not new. The prophets have spoken to it. We have a men's Bible study on Thursday night and Friday morning. On Friday morning, one, uh, Sam Perry did this great job of leading us, and, and he took us to one of these great passages in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 18.15. Moses is talking. Moses is a prophet in the Old Testament, and Moses says this, Deuteronomy 18.15. He says, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you. Now, that's just a hint. That's just a subtle hint of Moses, this great prophet, saying, God's going to raise up another prophet from among you, like me. Jesus is the greater Moses. 
So though the, it's news, it's not new. It's come to us through the prophets of old and through the apostles of the New Testament. So it's news, but it's not new. Jesus himself, Luke chapter 24, uh, his disciples are with him and they're, they're slow to understand. And Luke 24, 25, he said, Foolish, oh foolish ones, how slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. He's saying that the prophets spoke about me. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. The gospel is news, but it's not new. It was anticipated. It was foretold. It was God has been working through all this time, even before Christ. Uh, verse number three, <clears throat> Romans uh, 1, 3. Uh, he spoke beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, verse three, concerning his son. Here we see that the substance of the gospel is Jesus. The good news centers around the person of Jesus Christ. The gospel is about him, and he goes on to describe uh, concerning his son. He goes on and says, concerning his son, and then he gives descriptions. Who was descended from David according to the flesh. What does he mean there? He says that Jesus is descended from David. And to a Jewish reader, this means, okay, the Messiah was supposed to come through David, and Jesus is born of Mary and adopted by uh, Joseph, and they are related. They are from the line of David. And so all, in verses 3 and 4, he creates this parallel of Jesus' humanity as well as Jesus' divinity. He goes on. Look at the, the parallels here. He was descended from David according to the flesh, but was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection. And then uh, verse 5, through whom... We re we've received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name. Do you have those parallels, uh, Eric? Here you see the son of David and the son of God. He was born, and uh, as, as Savior, he's appointed. He descended from David. He's declared to be the son in power. He's come according to the flesh, but according to the spirit of, of holiness, he's been declared to be God primarily, emphatically, through his resurrection. So in verses 3 and 4, uh, Paul is saying the gospel centers around Jesus, and that Jesus, this, this Savior, is both of human origin as well as divine origin. His human lineage is traced through, through David, but he existed with the Father before all time, declared God at his resurrection. The gospel centers upon Jesus. And uh, we can't tell people the gospel unless we speak to them about Jesus. God language is not good enough. Paul says that the gospel centers on the person and the work of Jesus. That's what we have to communicate to people. That's the news that we have to share. Uh, a lot of people in our society, maybe some of you, some of you embarrass me because of how much you know about what's going on in the world. You're news junkies. I mean, you're news junkies. You, you, you just absorb it and you remember it and you get various perspectives so you can filter things out. You're news junkies. What Paul, I think, would have us say here is to be a good news junkie, to be a gospel junkie, to be absorbed in it, to know the ins and outs, the facets, to be able to communicate it, to be passionate about it. But it centers upon Jesus it centers upon Jesus. Not only does it center upon Jesus, but in verse 5, we see the scope of the gospel. And the scope of the gospel is that the gospel is universal. 
The gospel didn't just come to the Jews, but look at, look at verse 5 with me. Through whom we've received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. The gospel is for all the nations. Now, this is a hint of what Paul's going to talk about later in Romans, and that is there was some division in the church in Rome. Imagine that. And they were divided largely, they had some conflict largely around racial tensions, Jew and Gentile. And he's saying here, he's, he's getting a little uh, foreshadowing here of, look, the gospel is for everyone, therefore get along. You know, Gentiles don't look down on the Jews, Jews don't look down on the Gentiles. The gospel is for all nations. That's why Jesus said in the Great Commission, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And the church is, is, is not supposed to be a melting pot of the nations, but it is supposed to be a tossed salad, right? Melting pot, everything kind of blends together, but the salad things keep their distinctness. And Paul is saying the gospel here is universal. It's for all nations. It's interesting how he uh, says this here, but if you look at the end of Romans, he's going he's gonna to emphasize this again. The very last words of, the, of Romans, flip there with me, Romans 16, beginning in verse 25. This is his benediction. This is the end of his letter, and look at how he emphasizes the nations again as Paul wraps up uh, the whole letter, which we'll see probably in November sometime, okay? Uh, in chapter 16, verse 25, he says, To him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, uh, according to the revelation and the mystery that was kept hidden secret for long for long ages, but has now been disclosed through the prophetic writings and has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. That phrase is repeated again at the end as well. To bring about the obedience of faith, and then verse 27, to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. He starts by saying the gospel's for the nation. He ends the letter by saying the gospel has gone to all the nations. He wants us to take the gospel to the nations. And why does he want us to do that? Well, so that they might believe, Ross, so they might, they might come into a relationship with Christ. Yes, that's true. But I think the main point that Paul's driving home here is verse 27, for the glory of God. To the only wise God be glory forevermore. Because look at what he says again in verse uh, 5. What the, the aim of the gospel, if the scope of the gospel is universal, the aim of the gospel ultimately is the sake of his name. The glory of Jesus is why we're about the work of the gospel and why we're about sharing the gospel with other people. Do we want people to be saved? Yes. But that's pent ultimate, not ultimate. Ultimate is the glory of God's name, the name of of Jesus. That's what he says right here. That's what he says at the very last verse of the whole letter. To God be the glory. Again, I quote John Stott. John Stott says this, we should be jealous, as scripture sometimes puts it, for the honor of his name. Troubled when it remains unknown, hurt when it is ignored, indignant when it is blasphemed, and all the time anxious and determined that it shall be given the honor and glory which are due it. The highest of all missionary motives is zeal, burning and passionate zeal for the glory of Jesus Christ. That his name might be known, that his name might be honored. The aim of the gospel is ultimately the glory of Jesus. And that's just point one. The gospel is news. Okay, point number two is the gospel is, must, is news that must be shared. 
And we've been talking about this a lot the last few weeks, so I don't think I have to emphasize it as much as the previous point. But uh, it's obvious here as you read Paul that this news has to be shared. Uh, news is something you either observe firsthand as a witness or you hear about or you read about through someone else. But news, and this here, the good news, the gospel, has to be shared. It must be shared. And Paul says in chapter in verse 1 that he was set apart for this gospel, to, to be a proclaimer of it. But look also, I think it's, it's, it's helpful to see Paul's urgency in proclaiming the gospel in verses 14 through 16. Verse 16 is one of those verses that I'd love for you to memorize. Romans 1.16 says what? It says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. In this wonderful statement, verse 16, he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. He puts it in negative terms, I'm not ashamed, but he's saying, I, I, I've got to share the gospel. But it's not just there that we see the urgency. In verse 14, we see the urgency as well. In verse 14, he says, I'm under obligation, both to Greeks and to barbarians. On, the idea of obligation there is, is debt. I'm, inde I'm indebted to God. I'm indebted to, the, to those in Rome who don't yet believe. I'm indebted. To share this gospel, I'm under obligation. Verse 15, also, he says it in a positive way. He says, so I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. I want to preach the gospel. I'm eager. It's urgent. Now, why does he want to preach the gospel to, those, to, to, to these folks? I mean, don't they already know the gospel? They're saved, right? He's writing to a church. Guess what? The gospel is not only for the unsaved. The gospel is for the saved, too. Charles Spurgeon said, we, ha we have to sh preach the gospel to ourselves every day. Why? Because all of us slip into that default mode of works righteousness, and i got to please God by how many quiet times I have and how good of a mom or good of a dad I am or how much money I make. That will give me value. And the gospel says, no, God loves you because he loves you. Not because you've done something, but God loves you because he's chosen to love you. Not by any merit of your own. Our hearts have to hear that every day. Because if you're like me, you, your feet hit the floor and you start your day and, and your default mode is not good news, but works news. But to preach the gospel to ourselves every day. So here you see that Paul, he has, he has this sense of urgency. I'm under obligation. I'm eager to preach it. I'm not ashamed. What about you and me? Are we eager to preach it? Or are we shamed of it? Man, we're challenging our whole uh, church body this year to be about the gospel and be about sharing the gospel. And the three-prong approach that I've said week after week is prayer, care, and share. Who are you praying for? Who's God put on your heart to share the gospel with? They may be on your street. They may be in your workplace. They may be on a kid's uh, sports team. Uh, it may be family. But God wants to use us as he used Paul as an ambassador to preach the gospel. You may not be a preacher. You may not go to Rome. You may not go to other places. But there's somebody down the street from you, across the hall from you, on your team, that he wants you to be in praying for and caring for and share this good news with. They're not just gonna, they're just not, they're not gonna get the gospel just by looking at your good life as 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 great as your life may be. You have to share the news. Jesus was the best person that ever walked the face of the earth, and he preached. 
He shared the news with words. The gospel is good news that must be shared. Thirdly, third point is this. Third point is the gospel is news that transforms. I mean, you, you hear news and sometimes it transforms you. Sometimes it just goes past you, but there's some news that hits you and it's life-changing. Whether it's a national tragedy or it's something that's uh, happened in your neighborhood, but news can transform. And, and what Paul shows us here in these 17 verses is that the gospel is news it, that does. It, it transforms us. It changes us. It changes our identity. It changes our relationships. It changes our standing uh, before God. It changes us. Well, you know, Paul, I mean, he's, he, he's an apostle, Ross. I mean, you know, he, he's, he's qualified to preach. He's, he's qualified to talk to other people, but I'm, I'm not qualified. Well, think about the apostle Paul. Before, before Paul was the apostle, who was he? He was the persecutor of the church. Before he was the preacher of the gospel, he was the persecutor of the gospel and, and of Christians. And God took this unworthy guy who was then called Saul and transformed him on the road to Damascus, Acts chapter 9, if you want to read that story. God takes this guy that's unworthy and transforms him and then uses him to transform the lives of other people. I'm not worthy. Guess what? You're not worthy. But neither was Paul. This persecutor, this murderer of Christians was transformed. And the one that once persecuted the church now builds the church. And he's transformed. How is he transformed? Look at how Paul the Apostle begins this, begins this letter. Look at, again, back up at verse 1. How, how does he identify himself? He says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus. Then he goes on to say, called to be an apostle. What's the difference between Paul identifying himself as a servant and then saying, I'm called to be an apostle? Well, I would say it like this. Paul's, Paul's identity was that he was a servant. Or some translations say slave. You could say, Paul, a slave. But then he goes on to say, I'm a slave, I'm a servant who's called to be an apostle. What do we have there? We have Paul's identity, a servant, and Paul's role, an apostle. And not the other way around. His identity was not that he was an apostle. That he had this job. His identity was that he was a servant and he had been called to be an apostle. Guess what? Most of us aren't called to be an apostle in the sense that Paul was. But all of us are called to be a servant. And then the question is, what's my role as a servant? Well, maybe it's not that you're going to be a pastor or a preacher or to go uh, around the Mediterranean and, and preach the gospel. But every servant has a role to play in your service. And sometimes what we do is we find our identity in our role, rather than our identity as a servant, right? Paul's identity was, first and foremost, I'm a servant. Secondly, God's called me to this office of apostle. Secondly, moms, listen to me. Secondly, you're a mom. First of all, you're a servant. But if you put motherhood before servanthood, your identity is going to be all wrapped up in being a mom. But our identity is not all wrapped up in what we do. Our identity is all wrapped up in who Jesus has called us. And that's a servant, a 
servant, but also it's even more than that. Not only are we called to be a servant, we're also called his sons and daughters. And that transforms us. Look, again, verses 16 and 17. He goes on to say this. In verses 8 through 13, he talks about his trans... Let me just quickly address that. In verses 8 through 13, he talks about his transformed relationships. He, he now prays for these other Christians. He encourages them. He loves them. He wants to come and be with them. But we see the transformation that he's going to highlight through this whole book comes in verses 16 and 17 when he says this, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. We already talked about that. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, gospel for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Look at verse 17. This is where we see his transformed identity. Verse 17, he says, For in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Verse 17 was the key verse for Martin Luther 500 years ago when the Protestant Reformation was, was begun. It was as Martin Luther looked at verse 17 500 years ago and saw that that righteousness of God was not just an attribute of God, that God is righteous himself, but, it, but that it was the activity of God. It was the achievement of God for us. What is he saying? He's saying that righteousness comes by faith as a gift of God. Righteousness is an attribute of God, but righteousness is an activity or an achievement that God gives on our behalf. The righteousness of God is given to us as a gift. Paul's going to say it in 1 Corinthians 5.21 like this. We don't have this on a slide, but here it is. 1 Corinthians 5.21 says, He who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of Christ. Listen to that again. He who knew no sin, Jesus, became sin on the cross on our behalf, that we might have the righteousness of Christ given to us by grace through faith as a gift. Not righteousness as an achievement, like I I, got to do all these good things. Martin Luther was a monk. He was very dedicated. He He was very zealous for religion. But he said, I could never become righteousness. And then, and then God revealed to me through his word that this righteousness of God is not something that I attained, but something that God achieved, attained for me. The righteousness of God was given to me by faith. And that transformed him. And that transformed hundreds and thousands and millions since then. And that can transform you and me. Because here's what righteousness means. Righteousness means not just that you are forgiven, but that you're totally given a new state, a new identity, a new standing before God. See, the gospel is good news, not just because Jesus has forgiven us. That would be great in itself. But the good news is even better than that because Jesus has not only forgiven us, he's given us righteousness, which is one better. It's like this. Let's say just for instance, you got in a little trouble with the law, okay? You got in a little trouble with the law. I don't know what you did. That's between you and the law. But, you know, you go and you go appear before the judge and you're guilty. You've done wrong. The Bible says we've done wrong. We're guilty. Well, imagine for a minute that the judge in his heart and in his good mercy, says, you know what, you're guilty, but I'm going to forgive you of your crime. 
not guilty, you're free. How relieved would you be? Let's, let's say it was a great crime or maybe it was a great debt that you owed in. And the judge says you are forgiven. You would walk out of that courtroom with a hop in your step because you are forgiven. And that's great. But guess what? The good news of Romans, the good news of the gospel is not just that you're forgiven, but you're also given righteousness. So it would be like this. The comparison would be like this. You stand before God guilty and he not only says you're forgiven, but he says also I'm going to give, not only am I going to forgive you of our sins, but I'm going to give you an inheritance that you could never have apart from me. I'm going to pay you for coming to court today. Even though you're bad, even though you deserve punishment, I'm going I'm to I'm load your checking account with more money and, and more inheritance than you could ever imagine. Folks, that's what God has done for us in the gospel. He's not just forgiven us, he's given us righteousness. He hasn't just washed us away negative sins, but he has given something positive to our account. And not only are we servants, therefore, but therefore we are servants who are also sons and daughters. Jesus has not only canceled our sins, he's brought us into a new family. And that transformed Martin Luther, that's transformed all who have heard this good news story, and that will transform you and me. And transform you and me as we continually come back and are reminded of it. That my standing before God is not what I've done, but what Jesus achieved. And because I've trusted in him, I have the righteousness of God. That's good news with me father god we thank you that in a world of bad news you have uh you've given us this great news that can transform our identity that make us uh to get us out of the trap of self-fulfillment and self-accomplishment and that we can rest in your grace and in your righteousness that our sins have been paid that we're washed clean but we've also given been given this incredible inheritance you have credited to our account the righteousness of Jesus. God, would you sink that into our hearts through your Holy Spirit so it just transforms our lives in a way that we have not been transformed before. Jesus, thank you for coming and loving us. Thank you for living perfectly and dying on our behalf and defeating our sin and death through the resurrection. Jesus, that we can celebrate that 